Greedy Banks Incorporated here to rip you off. How can I help? Um, okay, hi. Yeah, I'm just calling because I noticed recently that the base rates went to 5%. Mm. Uh, mm. I'm trying to get a mortgage at the moment and I can't mm. seem to find anything at 5%. They're all a lot higher. Uh, so. Okay, sir. Let me just come in there. You're making the rookie error of thinking that the Bank of England interest rate has anything to do with mortgages at all. It doesn't. Uh. It's just a handy guide for us as banks to set the rate to exactly where we want. So if you're looking at a 5% bank rate, you're going to be looking at a mortgage of a roughly 6.5%. Does that sound six, good? Six point. Okay, so, sorry, I'm just failing to understand here. What does the base rate do then? Yeah, 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 that's right. The, the base rate there is just a handy guide for us banks to set mortgage rates exactly where we want. You need to think about mortgage rates as something separate to the Bank of England base rate. Think of that maybe as more of your interest of what you could earn. Oh. But going back to mortgages, you're going to actually want a rate of roughly 6.5% because, you know, we need to make some money for our shareholders. Oh, okay, so I've, the rates I've been seeing are right. Okay, Um. well, look, I've got quite a large deposit of money at the moment. I was thinking of paying mm. off some of the mortgage. I think what I'll do then is try to benefit benefit from some of those interest rates. Can I deposit mm. some money and receive the 5% interest rate myself? You can absolutely deposit some money, but you cannot access the 5% base rate because like I said, sir, that is just a guide for us banks. What we tend to do is pass on those uh, interest rate hikes very quickly when it comes to mortgages, but we do kind of tend to lag behind a few months when it comes to passing on those interest rate savings because like I said, it's our prerogative, sir, and we're here to rip you off. So if I'm looking right here, you can access a savings rate at roughly 3.5%. How does that sound? What? Th three? But sorry, I'm just really, really misunderstanding the point of the base rate. So if... If the base rate gives me higher mortgage That's rates right. and lower right. interest rates, I'm not benefiting either That's way. That's right. No, absolutely not. We benefit as a whole. Uh, okay. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, bye. I'll put you down for both of those products. Uh, bye. No, please. Uh. Dylan, I'm going to do the introduction this week because I want to do an impression of you that hopefully the viewers will enjoy. You ready? This yeah, is you. Yeah, sure. This is you. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the next episode of Teach, Sleep, Repeat. <laughs> what are you doing? You always do that. You always do this. You kind of like lean. You like forehead your way what? through the podcast. Like, <laughs> if I did it, I'd be I'd be ridiculed for being Mega Mind because you know you got that like nice hair. Mate, line. you're you're ridiculed for being Mega Mind anyway. <laughs> I wouldn't worry about doing the intro in a different way. Hello, everybody. Dylan here. Can just do about see me. Yeah, you do. Okay, you I do. <laughs> I need to go back and watch that again because I've obviously I never I never realised that I do that. Anyway, um, hello everybody, welcome back to another episode. Obviously, you see repeat. My name is Dylan. <laughs> My name is Hayden. Anyone listening to the audio right now is thinking, what are, they, what are these people talking about? Just so you know, if you've got Spotify, you can actually watch us do this podcast as well. Um, the the numbers are you know, scarily growing, Hayden, uh, on the video watching in general. Mm. A huge percentage of people on Spotify do actually watch this. Um, so I'm going to stop and I'm going to kind of, you know, just hold back my um, insults because they're a huge part of our base at the minute. So if you're watching, well yeah. done you. And I definitely don't think that's weird. So thank you so no much. No longer creeps? Not, not going to call them creeps anymore? Mm, nah, I think what I'm going to do is that classic politics move of just not call them anything. Yeah. Because then I don't have to say, I, oh, I don't, you know, maybe yeah. I still think that, maybe I don't. Who yeah. knows? I've not said anything. Not denying it, it you know. but not saying it. No. Yeah, yeah, that's fair enough. And just on that point, uh, I think Hayden, on a very serious point in general, we are very excited, aren't we? Because in the last couple of weeks, our numbers have just genuinely boomed. Doubled. We've got so many new followers. Doubled followers and more than doubled listens. And that tells mm. me one thing. You're not following us if you're listening. So make sure you follow us. Make sure you give us a review. The reviews are peaking up as well. I know we keep asking for them, but guys, I, I care more right now about saying hello to you if you're a new listener. And get in touch with us because 
we love to hear from you. So if you're enjoying this podcast, please do let us know via all the usual methods, whether that's answering a question on our Spotify, whether that's finding us on Instagram at teach sleep repeat podcast, whether that's <laughs> gmailing us at teach sleep repeat pod at gmail.com, whether that's tweeting us at teach SR podcast, you'll get to know all of these very soon. Can I just say, I'll tell you what you need to do right now, because we say, we say it all the time, but it doesn't happen as much, is you need to pause this podcast write us in the funniest story you can think of from your teaching career or just generally maybe maybe you're not a teacher and it's just a funny story make us laugh we want to share it we like laughing you like laughing write to us do it do it guys because we want to hear from you but you're not here to hear us talk about saying thank you to you you're here for us to dive into our usual business so hayden as ever how has your week been my pal I have, my pal, I have been looking forward to you asking me this question because I really want to share a story <laughs> that it, on behalf of both of us, you know this story because you were there and I really wanted to share it with the viewers and listeners, okay? <laughs> I'm really so looking forward to this. It was a week ago, uh, Dylan and I and our partners, we went for lunch, uh, a local place that we like to go to and it's right by the sea and they've got this lovely balcony that you can go and sit on. We sat inside that day, it was very hot, but other people were sat out there and uh, <laughs> this, 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 oh man, it was so funny. So you know what seagulls are like, if you live near the they are ruthless they will i've been i've had a seagull fly into me before and steal my ice cream out of my hand that i was tucking into my chest like they are they are ruthless <laughs> relentless and, i'm surprised um, it didn't think that your your whole head was just an egg it can go for <laughs> it landed on it thinking it was going to start nesting like it was going to start you know looking after it and then it saw an ice cream just it just stole it from me anyway back to the story right so this these two ladies were eating outside a table for two and they'd for whatever reason left their table. I don't know what they were doing, but they just weren't there and their food was still there. You know what's coming, right? A seagull came down, landed on the table and was having a field that time. It was just literally just on their plates, stepping through their food, eating their food. And they came back and were like, oh, like horrified, like, oh, like clearly didn't have the confidence to go and like shoo it away. And there's this other lady sat next to it, this older lady, just like, just videoing it. Literally like that, and just <laughs> leaning over, not helping, just videoing. And um, the, the best part was when the seagull eventually went away because the waitress came out and shooed it off. <laughs> Um, the two ladies who were horrified were sort of standing there like, uh, that was like, that was our, that was our food. And, yes. um, should we say, can we get something extra? Yeah. Should we ask the people? For, like, should, should the waitress be like, oh, I'm so sorry about that. Like you, obviously you can't leave your food cause you know, whatever. And she, she just said, um, are, are you finished? <laughs> and they, they were just like, yeah, <laughs> like, of course, of course we're finished. And she just took their plates and walked back inside. Like, of course, what do you mean? Are they finished? Of course they are. <laughs> and obviously we were are you up. finished <laughs> oh, you see the seagull in the background <laughs> <laughs> yes oh it was so funny it was so embarrassing because we're sat there at the table like really close to them trying not to die from laughter oh, <laughs> at that misery i, I, I want to the 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 fun one of the funniest parts for me was that older older woman who was sat on the table next to them because she didn't just have her phone out she had like a full on Canon camera like a really professional thing and she even said she didn't even just do it she went oh do you mind if I just <laughs> she put this massive camera out imagine wanting to just finish your dinner and someone's there just documenting a seagull absolutely bombing into it going for it a very funny moment a very funny moment highlight of my week. Other than that, you know, standard week. What about you? Yeah, decent. It was a standard week, normal week. At term, term six is just busy. Everyone's talking about it online. Everyone knows it. There's just so much to cram in. You're trying to finish the curriculum. Uh, I saw a tweet again. Um, it was just from someone who mentioned the fact that it's such still a stigma of summer, term six or term two, whatever you want to call it in summer, 
where I think a lot of people, even teachers still think, oh, it's an easy ride. It never is. It's the most intense week ever. Uh, but in general, this week, uh, we had to rearrange our summer fair because of the bad weather. Yep. So that was another thing on the calendar that we were supposed to do. But there was this one thing that did stick out to me this week that really, really, really just made me laugh. And it's something I'm going to do this week for the uh, in the future podcast where we can do another little bit about it because it was simply a kid's joke. And we all know, we both know as teachers that kids' jokes are <laughs> hilarious, but not always because they're hilarious jokes. But this one really kind of sat with me for a bit because I thought it was rubbish. And then I thought about it and I went, oh, no, wait, I, I, I suddenly understood it. And it was so bad that it was good. So I want to tell you this joke <laughs> okay, that a child told, told me this week that she started off by saying, can I tell you a joke? And I was like, okay, go on. It was the morning when they're just coming in, putting their coats away, getting their quiet. Preparing your fake laugh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking to myself, okay. Okay, uh, this child, you know, I'm kind of scanning the child every time. Will this child react? Does this child want me to laugh? Will this child enjoy me telling them how bad their joke is? You know, always trying to think of how to get the best reaction out of the kid. Yeah. And for this child, I was thinking, oh, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to definitely pretend that this is funny, <laughs> which plays into the story. So she goes, okay, I made this up myself. I was like, okay, no problem. And she went, okay, what do you call a camel that likes ham? And I, I don't know. I genuinely didn't know. And I, like my mind obviously wasn't working this morning. It's like, don't know, what do you call it? A hamel. <laughs> right? So I, I genuinely, I start off with my fake laugh. I go, ha yeah, good one. Didn't, didn't remotely make the link at all that it has the word cam in it. It quite easily goes to ham. Yeah. Anyway, she walks off and I realise this when she's halfway back to her seat and then I do my real laugh. And I'm like, ha And she's like, what? And I was like, oh, I just got your joke. And she kind of looks at me like, what? what? As if, what was the first laugh? And I was like, oh, yeah. it was just so funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'm struggling to understand what you didn't get when she said hamel. Did you not so hear that I word thought, ham in it? No, no. I heard the word ham, but I thought she'd just done something like, she may as well have said to me, "What's an ele- what would you call an elephant that likes ham? And she goes, hamophant. Like, I didn't get the link that camel already had something that sounds like ham in it. Oh, the rhyme. Right. Yeah. So she could have said, what do you call a dog that likes ham? And you, ham. <laughs> like, I just would have like, ah, that's a good joke. Yeah, yeah. I see what you mean. Right. So... <laughs> Brilliant, brilliant. I had another kid. There's a there's that classic joke, and you'll probably remember the main joke this comes from. But he'd obviously heard it and retold it really poorly. And this was, <laughs> this so, it was so bad. He went, "What did one wave say to the other wave?" Don't know. <laughs> Nothing. Just waved. <laughs> oh God. Oh. That's not the joke, mate. Yeah. That's not the joke. <laughs> it's what did the sea say to the beach? <laughs> Nothing. It just waved. Right. What did the wave say to the wave? It waved. <laughs> you probably heard that joke and thought, I can think of my own one now. A unique version of this joke. <laughs> Brilliant. So yeah, in general, my week was pretty normal. I, I wrote that down because it made me laugh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I think we're just kind of, I don't know about you, Hayden. I'm exhausted. I, I feel like I'm on my last legs in school. Whenever I finish a school day, it just feels very intense. If there's no wind down at all. I don't know about you in year six. Yeah, exactly the same. I said yesterday to my colleagues, I was like, I feel like there's always three things to do and I have to pick one of them like because I just can't do all, all of the things. It's, um, yeah, it's quite stressful. I was, uh, this same colleague was saying, yeah, I worked till 9.45 again last night and I have done every single day this week uh, just sorting stuff. And it's just, it's a weird one because when you ask, I feel like I'd always struggle if you said to me, cool, tell me, write down on paper all of the things that you're doing that are different. I'd always be like, ah, oh, I don't really know. But in the moment, you can always think of loads. Like she was saying, like, yeah, last night I just, a, a secondary school emailed me and needed a bunch of transition notes for, for a couple of kids that they forgot to do earlier. 
And I was like, oh yeah, that is an annoying job, isn't it? And I was like, oh, but that's the only one. But then another day, the next day, there's always something else. It's like, oh yeah, some affairs being rearranged. I've got to do this now. Let's change what we're doing. Oh, okay, that's that thing. All right, yeah. And it does build up, and, and I do feel bad. Like certain certain members of staff always seem to cop the flack of like doing all of these extra things. Yeah. And it's pretty rubbish. But I, I tell you, yeah. I, I think the heat is just it's the killer you know like as much i'm really enjoying it by the way i'm not one of those people i'm trying not to be one of those people that like moan about the rain and moan about the heat i actually thoroughly enjoy summer so much more than, than any other part of the year but some days when it's ridiculously hot oh man it just like i'm i just get so much more exhausted by the end of the day i just want to flop because i think i think it's just the heat i think it's fair enough to say that you can enjoy the sunshine and the heat but not whilst you're working in a stuffy classroom of 34 people like that, that's yeah. a very different thing isn't it it's yeah, like yeah. you don't you're not you're not a hypocrite if you say oh i thought you like the heat don't you like being in a sweaty classroom with uh prepubescent children for a whole day no not really <laughs> yeah. because it's not the most enjoyable thing is it <laughs> it's not the not the nicest smell there is a distinct smell of year six i'm just gonna say you know everyone always says that you know the, the children are getting older now there's a bit there's, a, there's yeah. more body mass in the in the room it gets a little <laughs> bit stinkier <laughs> <laughs> although you can't you don't notice it when you're in your six i will say that it's only other only when other adults come in they go god it stinks in here and i'm like does it <laughs> it's just me then yeah and that's yeah. That's when you slowly realise that in fact it is just you. It's not the children. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 they've been off all day. <laughs> Hayden, I'm 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 yes, it's an inset day. <laughs> I uh, I'm just thinking back now to that introduction we did around the Bank of Inter uh, Bank yes. of England interest yes. rates and that idea because that is the main theme of this episode. So I'm thinking potentially we could take a quick break, maybe chat about it, and then we could dive into this whole episode which does surround the fact that teachers are still striking and how the cost of living impact is uh, cost of living is having an impact on this profession uh, and we're going to try and explore that in detail how does that sound yeah sweet let's, let's get to it so our skit at the start of this episode was kind of born out of our own personal experience wasn't it because it's this idea of everyone who's been watching the news for the last 12 months 13 months interest rates gone up every single month it's gone from about 1.5 something like 1.5 percent is now at five percent mm. and the idea of how that's affecting people in their everyday lives and the government say is the line that is trying to curb inflation sure but it's going to have much shorter impact um short-term impact on certain things and it was this really frustrating idea, wasn't it, Hayden, that you are currently going through the process of trying to get your remortgage application in because your fixed yep. term is coming yep. to an end. Uh, possibly, and I'm just going to say it's going to annoy you, I'm sure, the most annoying time possible yeah, for yeah, that to happen. Genuinely, to uh, the last 12 months, I have been literally waiting, thinking, I know what's going to happen. This is going to keep going up uh, just in time for me to remortgage. And I'm going to remortgage at a horrible rate and and pay considerably more a month just for the privilege of continuing my mortgage, you know, and I, and I get it, boohoo, like, you know, interest rates change all the time. People are constantly paying more or less as it fluctuates. So whatever. But the thing that annoyed me as someone maybe who just doesn't know loads about how the base rate works, um, I just kind of expected that base rate to be relevant in, in, in any way. And it just kind of isn't um, in terms of the actual number. Like the relevance, I guess, is the fact that it's going up. That's the relevance. But the actual number, it just annoyed me because I, I went to remortgage and i just literally last week had the, had the meeting about remortgaging um and i was expecting five percent and, and we're looking at all these fixed terms and they were between like 5.3 and like six percent i'm like well, what why are they already considerably higher than than the, the base rate i don't get it yeah it's, it, this is the thing we and we kind of like tried to have a joke about this in the start it is different like what mortgage rates are in, are calculated off it's off more long-term swaps and bonds and things like that so that interest rate is today mm. okay 
Now, what they tend to do for mortgages is make a prediction for the future because it's such a long-term loan, right? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to pretend to know the ins and outs of it, but it's not just a simple case of look at the base rate, that's your mortgage rate. They'll, they'll, they'll make almost like a prediction to cover themselves. Yeah. So the fact that mortgage rates are higher and they tend to be higher as well just for the bank's profit margin, I suppose, but also the fact that the, the, the fact it's higher is them kind of hedging their bets that it still has a bit of wiggle room to go up in the future and then the banks don't get caught short on these ridiculously low loans, which they will have if anyone has fixed for five to 10 years in the last couple of years. The banks now have to provide those loans at a really, really yeah. low rate. So th- there is there is reasoning behind it, um, uh, but it's still frustrating, right? When you go to your broker and you think, wow, I've done nothing. I've done absolutely nothing. I've met every single criteria for my mortgage, but now it's hundreds of pounds mm. extra mm. because of such a steep increase. I think that's the thing, how steep it's been. Yeah, well, my it, people, people, I think it's so easy to misunderstand like percentages and things like that, right? It, in terms of numbers, as numbers stand, hearing like 2.5 go, going up to 5%, it's like, oh, that's not that much. It's still a very low number and because percentages go up to 100. And what you really have to realize that is proportionally, if you go, if, it's exactly what's happened to me, by the way. So I was on a 2.5% fixed mortgage and now I'm going to go on to like a five point something percent. It's, it's more than doubled. That means the interest that I pay on my mortgage is more than doubling. And that's hundreds of pounds. So my mortgage now, if I kept at the same term uh, that I was on in terms of the, the years left to repay, my mortgage would go up by 400 pounds a month which is no joke. Like that's that's not just like a an amount that people can just go, oh yeah, okay, I'll just stop having, you know, I'll stop having uh, lunch every other week out with my mates and save that 400 quid. Like, no, I'm sorry, but the average person, I don't think the average person in, in our sort of position is spending 400 pounds on something that is like such a luxury they can just drop every every month. It's just not, that's a huge, that's a significant amount of money to go up, but just, oh, just because. And, and the two things that I thought were really interesting were, number one, the, the longer you went in terms of a fixed term for once, so the first time, the cheaper it was. So typically, mm. if you want to fix for a long period of time, you pay a slightly increased rate because you're paying the premium for knowing that your your percentage is going to be the same for the next you know five years, 10 years. Or security, whatever. right? It's, it's a security, security thing. So you pay a slightly higher percentage, but you, at least you know it's fixed for the next 10 years. But now what they're doing is the, the longer you'll fix for, the cheaper it is which uh, the broker I was speaking to, um, who's a good friend of yours, James, was saying that, that that's probably an indicator that um, that actually, you know, maybe maybe the percentage rates are quite high right now and they're probably going to come down. So if they can fix you in for a longer mm. period of time, then they will because they're probably going to be lower in seven years. You know, that kind of thing. So that was, a, that was a little bit promising. But the thing I thought was really crazy, right, was I was like, okay, maybe they are just really high right now and uh, they want to get people fixed in, whatever. It, so that's why it's a bit higher than the base rate. Um, but the base rate itself is 5%. So maybe if I go on a variable one and I just and I just <laughs> ride the wave of the base rate, maybe that will be a bit lower and you're just paying for that gamble of like, where's it going to be? Look to the variable variable rate. What do you reckon? It, it's I've seen it before. It's something like, Bank of England base rate, and then in brackets plus one percent or something stupid uh, like that. It was it was on, honestly on average about seven to eight percent. If you want to wow. jump on a variable variable rate for your mortgage, except like what? That is an insane amount. That would triple my. That'd be another four hundred pounds a month just to sit on the variable rate for a bit. So you have to fix. You're absolutely bottlenecked now into fix your mortgage or don't have one. That's it. There's no choice anymore. Um, so I ended up fixing for two years in the hope that in two years they will have reduced a little bit. The estimation's down to like three or four percent. Um, but yeah, mad, mad time. And I know that for you it's interesting because 
this is the other side of the coin in a way for you. I know you've got a mortgage as well, but you've also um, been interested in putting your money into, into an account because I know we'll talk about it in another episode, but you you went on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? So if anyone doesn't know that, he, Dylan went on Who Wants Who Wants to Be a Millionaire a couple of years ago and, and won a decent chunk of money, which is awesome. And you were very sensible with that money and thought, I'm going to put it in an account, you know, try to accrue some interest. And from your point of view, you I know that you were thinking, oh, this is a great thing because at least the Bates rate going up means I will get more interest and in the cash that I have. But what, you know, what's your experience been with that? <laughs> well, it's frustrating because it, it, you think back to when I won the money. It was in 2020. Okay, so I won a lump sum of money. And back then, the interest rate was literally at 0.1% after COVID. They whacked it down to basically nothing. So the, the point being, at that point, me saving that money, although sensible, because even though it's frustrating, I didn't feel like I was getting much interest from it. I didn't want to feel like I had to spend it in that case. I, I didn't like the argument of, well, we've got to make the most of it because it will just get eaten away by inflation. I was like, yeah, but I, I get that. But at least at the minute, I'm not just wasting it for no reason. So it, yeah, you're right. The last 12 months, as interest rates have crept up, I've thought, oh, actually, you know, I can get a decent amount every month for this in the same way that people borrowing a lump sum for a mortgage are paying hundreds of pounds extra because of the way interest works. Mm -hmm. I thought to myself, well, in that case, if I flip it, I can be paid hundreds of pounds from the banks for the interest on my capital. In fact, that they're basically borrowing it from me so they can invest it how they like and they pay me interest. Yeah, which is supposed so to be how it okay. works, right? Yeah, exactly. And I thought, that's cool. No problem. And the way that I know, I understand more. And that people can be very condescending. Well, the banks especially can be very like, oh, you don't understand how mortgage rates work, son. Don't look at the interest rate. It's like, what am I meant to look at then? Sorry. Oh, it's the long-term bonds and, and swaps and things. Okay, fine. I can accept that, whatever. But then when you flip it, the banks, the day after interest rates go up, the day after they will withdraw mortgage deals and put new ones out that go up by a certain amount. They will take months to pass that on, though, to any savings account. Mm -hmm. And that's what's really frustrating, because as soon as that base rate goes up by 0.5%, you'll see mortgage rates up by 0.5% within, within three days. Savings rates, or we're going to have to do a... So we have to really think about how we pass this on to you guys as customers. And I saw this very condescending article from one of the leaders of the banks. I think it was Nationwide or Barclays. I don't know. So if you're listening, Nationwide or Barclays, man, I'm sorry if it wasn't you, but it was one of them. And he basically said, what customers are telling us is that they don't want interest rates going up on their easy access. They want ways of being able to uh, be encouraged to save more. And that's through it not being easy access and through it being lots of, I'm like, I'm sorry, shut up. Yeah. How about you just offer the interest rate and let the customers decide what it is that they want? Because I tell you now, easy access to their savings is vital in a cost of living. And the only way, cost of living crisis, and the only way that you can get interest rates close to the 5% is if you lock away your money for years and you can't touch it. If you want an instant access, which means you can dip in when times get tough, which they currently are, you're looking at still between three and 4%, which is a massive dip on this Bank of England interest rate. And it makes me think, what is that interest rate for? If it's much lower for savings and much higher for mortgage rates, the banks are laughing. They are absolutely laughing at you and trying to tell you that's not what you want, silly person. Mm. We know what you want with your money and it's much less of it. And, and if you want more of it, then it's ours for five years. And that's what you want. It's the same with politicians. We know what people want. We know, and it's invariably worse. It's ridiculous. And before we move on to like talking about strikes and and uh, the, the whole like public sector and inflation and all that sort of stuff that we've got planned, I really just want to moan for a minute, okay, about, about this a bit more. Because I uh, recently had a conversation with someone uh, in person, not I wasn't being a keyboard warrior for once, 
And we, it was a civil conversation. And it was just about like mortgages because obviously I was across that I'm getting a mortgage at a much higher rate now. And their kind of go-to was, yeah, well, look, come on, it's not that bad. You know, they've, they've always been around like three to 5%. You should have been around in the 70s. So in the late 70s, 1979 to 1980, they spiked at 15%. And it's just that classic argument. I've heard it so many times that I just, I just eye roll now. Um, and I just want to talk about it for a minute because I've sat there and done the research and, I, and I've listened to other people who have also done the same sort of research, just confirming this exact same thing. And I am going to say to you right now, listeners and viewers, that if you've got a mortgage right now on 5.5% and you're just an average person in an average house, okay, if we're just um, uh, taking the average, it is worse than the average person in the average house in 1979 for the two months that it peaked to 17%. It's worse. <laughs> and I can prove it to you. Okay, because back then in 1979, it was it was like at the end, right at the end, like November time, was when the uh, the the average mortgage interest rate peaked at 17 percent, and then it dropped back down to like 14, 15 percent, which is still obviously horrendous. And if that was the percentages now, we'd all be going, we'd all be out of our homes because we just simply couldn't afford it. But the difference is, and the important comparison to make here, and I really want to get this across is that it, the number alone does not equal bad or good. 15% isn't inherently worse than 5.5%, which is where we're at right now. Because it depends on how much you're earning and how much you've borrowed. That's what that's the important thing. So here are some stats for you, Dylan. I'm just going to chuck them at you. You can pretend to care as much as you want. <laughs> so No, Hayden, this is the thing I care the most about is injustice on you know economics and stuff. So hit me uh, and make my blood pressure go through the I room. know. I just wanted you to say that for me. So back in 1979, <laughs> right? Uh, the average house the average house price was 18.5k so 18500 the oh average my God. i know it just sounds just, it sounds mad can we just it? stop there i know oh my God. i know and that's 19 it doesn't even feel like that long ago that's 90 that's the end mm. of 1979 right at the end of 1979 mm. 18500 for your average house in the uk your average salary now this was a hard stat to get and I've, and it's and and it will make a slight difference to the comparison because i could only get the average salary of of a man because they didn't take household income data then. They, they very much separated it, men and women, but they didn't have the average household income, which is what we have now and we can use. But if we think about culture and, and the way things were mm. back then, it was more common that there was one income coming into a house and it was quite often the, the, a man's income coming into the house and running the house, right? So it, what you're saying here, if anything, that this number for the household would be bigger yes, and therefore exactly make it that. even easier in the 70s. So, exactly so if anything, this is a worst case scenario for 70. Yeah, precisely right? that. So this is based off just one person's income. Now, if you were in a household where where both uh, parents worked or whatever, you know, whatever the family situation was, then the number would be, it'd be even easier to manage. So this is based on one single man's income, right? Of the average salary was about 5,700 pounds. So what that works out at is... Um, on the so on the average mortgage, okay, on an eighteen thousand five hundred pound house, and you're earning the average salary of five thousand seven hundred pounds, approximately forty six percent of your monthly wage would go directly to paying off your mortgage. Okay, okay. So that's that's the most important stat, forty six percent, and that is at seventeen percent. Can I just add? That's at the worst, at the worst possible, possible peak case. time. If that continued every month, you'd be paying forty percent of the man's salary towards it but back then fixed mortgages were way more rare so actually that hit would just have been for two months it's not like you where you've got to fix now for two years at this high rate for 24 yeah. months 
this, this, this would be a lot of people on the variable rate. They'd hit it for two months and kind of ride it. Exactly that. P people, everyone was affected by this. People didn't just get to skip it because they had a fixed rate. Everyone was on it almost. So now let's look at now. All right. The average house price, and bear in mind, all these figures, guys, are very rough and they are loosely based on data. Some, some of the data is from like four or five months ago where it hasn't been updated. So just take it with a pinch of salt, but it gives you an idea. So the average house price now roughly in the UK is about £285,000. It was a little bit higher a few months ago and it's come down a tiny bit. Uh, and again, looking at the mortgage rates based on literally this week, you're looking at 5.5 if you want to fix for two to three years. Okay, a, a, little, a little minimum. Bit. A, minimum. Yeah, basically minimum five point five percent. If if you've only got a ten percent deposit, those rates rocket. So you yeah, because exactly we, we have equity in our house. So actually, the, I think it's like the average is about six now. It's even higher. Yeah, when I was looking at the whole list of mortgages I could get, they they were very quickly in the sixes, and only a few deals were in the fives. But I obviously got a five. So I'm being I'm being modest here. I'm giving you the best possible deal you could get right now. It's about <laughs> five point five percent. The average household income in the UK, according to Google, is thirty three thousand pounds. Okay. Household. Household income. Yeah. I thought that was remarkably low. They said the average household income is £33,000. Mm. Okay. Now, doing the same percentages, same maths, that would equal approximately 48% of the average household incomes uh, coming in, going directly on mortgage payments at the 5.5% rate. And I thought that was really interesting because that is almost identical to what it would have been like if you were in 1979 and your average house and your household income was just the man's income paying the worst percentage rates we've ever seen in UK history. And it's actually technically slightly higher right now. And that's based on two <laughs> people earning in, in the house. In fact, that's not necessarily based on that because it is the average household income. And that average will obviously include some people uh, having like dual income and some people sure. not. Okay. I just, uh, I don't know. And I just want to put that argument to bed now because I'm sick of hearing it, right? Mm. that is just as bad right now as, as as it has ever been in the history of the uk so if you hear someone saying oh it's not 17 percent," say to them yeah well your house prices were a third of what they are now proportionately yeah. so it doesn't did matter. your house cost a shoelace and a button <laughs> uh, no actually it cost eighteen thousand five hundred pounds <laughs> <laughs> quite substantial <laughs> yeah still <laughs> And I'm not saying it wasn't tough for them back then, because clearly it was about the same as it was now in terms of how, how tough it's got. But, but, but for two we... months, because no one had a fixed rate and then it kind of came down again. It did. Know. It did come down. It did. You know, it was be fixing. There. Yeah, you'll be fixing this for two years. And even if the rate comes down, you're fixed for two years, because if you were on the variable rate like they were, you're now looking at eight percent, like you said earlier, seven or eight yeah. percent. So if we actually compare variable rate to variable rate, it's much worse right now. Considerably worse, considerably worse. So do you know what? If, if you are listening to this and you're thinking times are really tough right now, but I keep being told to suck it up by the government and all the people that live through the 70s because we managed to do it. Uh, I was going to swear then. I'm not going to swear because uh, I'm not Dylan. <laughs> I don't do that on the podcast. But seriously, like mm. just just take, it is tough right now. It's a cost of living crisis and, the, and it is a crisis. Like it's really, really, really hard to have the, what I would say the base, basic necessities of life right now, shelter and food are ridiculously mm. expensive and they are taking up a huge chunk of the average person's income. And th that's the really important thing. It's, a re it's not luxurious things that are being hit. It's the things that the people with the most poverty in this country spend all of their money on. So as soon as food and shelter are hit in such a ridiculous way through inflation and through um, rates going up, they are the ones that actually run out of money the quickest.
I'm just going to read something really quickly here from Rishi Sunak, okay? Because this is exactly what he said at the weekend when asked by a BBC reporter, you know, um, basically laid it out to him what he said, hundreds and hundreds of pounds extra on mortgages and hundreds and hundreds of pounds extra in the last 12 months through inflationary prices of food, etc. So yep. much worse position. His answer was this. We've got to hold our nerve, stick to the plan, and we will get through this. Uh, what? Oh, okay, what? cheers, mate. So, okay, sorry. I, I'm hundreds of I'm hundreds and hundreds of pounds worth of it. We've got to hold our nerve. We inflation is the enemy. What do you mean we? Yeah. What do you mean we? We do you know billionaire. Who you are? <laughs> We've got to. <laughs> uh, just like sipping his like really expensive wine on his pool Honestly, in one of his homes. He's literally sat. Yeah, he's literally <sighs> sat in a Gucci suit. We've got to hold our nerve. He might as well have turned to the camera and put his middle finger up to me when I when I watched that. I was yeah. like, get in the uh, bin. And, and said to you, I'm absolutely fine. Uh, you're in the most dire position ever. You've just got to stick it out, you know? Well, funny enough, on my on my phone, I've got your, <laughs> I've got a tweet from you and I wanted to I wanted to rib you and it's related to this. <laughs> oh gosh. So oh, Dylan, gosh. <laughs> uh, you know, as he's mentioned our socials, Dylan's, Dylan's really trying to push our Twitter at the moment. So I really appreciate any follows on there and, you know, retweets and likes and things because we're trying to build a bit of an audience on there. And Dylan's been amazing and has been tweeting lots and getting involved. But <laughs> that was a tweet from Sky News uh, this week and Dylan I just want to read your reply I'm just going to take, take the mic because the Sky News said uh, British Prime Minister uh, Rishi Sunak has hinted he will ignore recommendations for public sector pay rises saying workers need to recognise the economic context we're in like the same sort of comment like condescending crap and, and you just said um, well, what's the point in the reports then absolutely wasting taxpayer money to generate a report you've already decided you'll ignore Wasted money in the hope that the independent review bodies would back the choice you've already made. Cowardly leadership, Rishi Sunak. <laughs> <laughs> I saw it pop up on my phone and I was like, there's the spirit. There's the keyboard warrior that I know I am coming out and Dylan. Really crap me up. Listen, you've got to punch up and there's no one further up than that guy. And it winds me up and I'm going to go on one now because it really does really wind me up because it reminds me of the, the behavior of children who I teach. When, do you, when you were younger, do you remember? We've got siblings. We've both got siblings. You'd be having an argument with one of your siblings and you'd go, oh, oh, and someone would walk through. And go, oi, oi, you, don't, don't you think that uh, we should be allowed to have an extra day of school? And if the person agrees with you, you're like, see, he said it. He's suddenly the <laughs> beacon of absolute reason. And because he said yeah. it, I'm right. Uh, but if that same person walked through and went, no, actually, I don't think that's right. You go, oh, well, it doesn't matter what you think anyway. And you go to the next person yeah. and you keep going around yeah. the room. And then as soon as one person agrees with you, oh, that one person, see, their opinion's really, and now I'm correct. It's the same thing. What is the point in this STRB report? I want to talk to you, Hayden. I want to, I want to play you a clip, if you don't mind. Yeah. And this this really piqued my interest. It really piqued my interest. So it's Gillian Keegan. Mm -hmm. She was talking a couple of months ago, and this is when it kind of came to kind of a gridlock with the unions. Okay. And it's to do with the STRB report because the uh, just so you all know, guys, Gillian Keegan is the education secretary. So she's in charge of education in this country. And she is the one who is supposed to be in negotiations with the unions, but it's been, you know, hitting a brick, like uh, hitting our health against a brick wall. I don't know what the saying is. <laughs> something to do with a brick wall and, and doing something repeatedly and not getting anything out of it. It's just like that. Um, so Gillian Keegan uh, did an interview with ITV News. And it's really interesting to hear what she said, referencing the STR, STRB report. So Hayden, I want to play it to you okay. and then maybe dissect into it afterwards. Okay. Yeah, it sounds good. Okay. Here's Gillian Keegan. 
I've already given my evidence to the independent pay review body. I think all the unions are doing that as well. They also take into account economic factors. So it's with the pay review body now. You're not talking to the unions? Well, I mean, I talk to them, but uh, we're not but having not negotiations. Pay. So the Prime no. Minister's wrong to say that your door is open? Well, we, we are, you know, we are, our door is always open, but right now, when... But it's not if you're sending them to the pay review body. Well, that's the process that we're, we're in place. So, you know, it seems, make, it makes sense now that we both, you know, sort of put our evidence in and then an independent person looks at all of that and then we'll come up with their recommendations. So, uh, Hayden, I want your gut reaction before I go into the points I want to make after watching that. Um, so I feel like you're going to know a lot more than me, but like, just because I haven't seen that before. But I just, what was she talking about with the, our, our door is always open, but it's closed right now? I, that bit just, <laughs> I was smiling thinking, clearly this is what Dylan's going to take the mick out of here. I don't know, you know, is there more to it? No, that's interesting. That's something that I kind of wanted to play in the middle, but it's also either side for me. So I'll address the open door thing. I, to me, that's just classic politics, isn't it? Classic politics where you've got lots of moving parts. You know, she's the education secretary. The prime minister might have been in an interview that morning and she hasn't even seen the interview yet. And this mixed messaging where they're just clearly trained to bat off any kind of, you know, questioning that they could possibly have. And it was just hilarious for me to watch her look down at the ground as if to say, I don't know what to say now because I've just contradicted <laughs> what the prime minister said um, <laughs> yeah, and see her, see her flaff and, and, and yeah. go about it. But the bit I wanted to dive into, maybe I can kind of uncover this a bit for you here, was her... Um, reliance on the STR, uh, STRB report. So, for anyone who doesn't know, the STRB report right. is a teacher pay is a teacher review pay body. Okay, it's completely independent of the government, and every year they'll release what they think is a suitable pay rise uh, for teachers. Now, last year, Gillian Keegan came into office. I think it was it would have been October time, November time after the um, the the Liz Truss palaver, and she implemented what was a five percent increase last year through the STRB report. Yeah. So it was, it was recommended and she implemented it. All good. Okay. And at the time she was talking about how, how good the STRB process is. Uh, and, and in that video, you heard her at the start saying, well, look, teachers have rejected 4.5%. Okay. And her line at the time was, so now when the STRB report comes in, it's down to that teacher's and it was kind of this condescending right. tone of, well, you've not taken the 4.5%, so it's down to the independent report now. And if that's worse, then that's so be it. Yep. And that's kind of the line they were taking. Uh, it turns out the STRB report has been on their desk for a few months now, and it's a recommendation of 6.5%. Yep. So I think it's interesting watching that video before any of this was leaked of her saying, well, it's with the STRB now. I've submitted my evidence, and I think NEU will submit their evidence, and lots of people submit their evidence. And what she said was, it takes into account economic factors. Now, I'm pretty sure that means that it takes into account the inflationary figures. It takes into account the macro level figures. It takes into account the interest rate figures. And the Independent Review Board have listened to all of the evidence and have come back with a suggestion of 6.5%. Now, what is cowardly, pathetic, and awful is now that, number one, they've not published a review since. Now, I'll give them their dues. The STRB report is usually published at the end of July, okay? In the last few years, since about 2018, that has been when it's been um, published. Mm. I would argue that the situation is slightly different now in terms of strike action for the last six, seven, eight months. Um, so maybe do push it forward as soon as possible to kind of try and resolve it and show that you're serious about doing that. No, they're not. They're going to push it back. And now, as time ekes towards that publication date, it seems as if they're going to reject it. And I think it's hip hypocritical. I think it's cowardly. I think that they flip-flop based on whatever they want to do at the time. And it frustrates me, Hayden, that I feel like the public sector are the ones bearing the burden for this crisis. Because not only, of course, everyone 
uh, has the inflationary shock of mm. everything going up. But if you look at average pay rises in the public se- uh, in the private sector, you're looking at between seven and eight percent. Mm. Um, public sector, they've been offered four percent. They're going to reject six percent. Why are we the ones that have to bear this brunt? And listen to Rishi Sunak tell us down the camera as a billionaire that we just have to suck it up. Why? Well, look, someone said to me recently, and you know way more about this than me, so I am genuinely genuinely just kind of relying on you to like help me understand some of this, right? Two things. Someone said to me recently, someone a lot older said, look, it is what it is. That's Inflation will continue to go up if we keep offering uh, huge pay rises to various sectors, right? At some point, it just has to stop. And was essentially mirroring, I guess, what Rishi Sunak said. We need to recognize the economic context we're in and inflation is spiraling. It has to stop and, and, and that brunt has to be taken. You can't have, you could just, we just can't all have an inflationary level pay rise. So before I say anything else, I just want your reaction to that. Like, what do you say when people say that? Because I usually get a little bit stumped in terms of, I don't know exactly how to respond to it. Here's the thing. I actually agree. Okay, I agree that inflation is horrendous for so many reasons for business for household income for being uh, for the poorest being uh, squeezed the most mm. I, I completely get that okay i think my bear bug here is number one there's been no attempt by the government to try and introduce measures to try and curb inflation in the private sector mm. so th- there's, there's no there's no attempt from the government to kind of be like okay look public sector we're in charge of we're going to do this private sector you guys you're going to have to help us out you can't enjoy eight nine percent. That if if public sector pay is going to fuel inflation, how can we pretend that private sector pay isn't fueling inflation as well? And I think the number one thing that really really winds me up here is who's being targeted to bear the brunt. Okay, because there are a number of ways you can go about this trying to squeeze inflation. And I'm not suggesting everyone should get an inflationary pay rise. I think that if 6.5% was offered to schools and it was funded, it would be overwhelmingly accepted, which, by the way, is still less than half of inflation over the last um, number of months. Mm -hmm. So let's not pretend that we want an inflationary pay rise. We don't. We want it to be funded and we want it to kind of help us a bit with the impact. Okay. the second thing that I will say is, as a result, I think the poorest should always be protected more than anyone. And I'm willing to say uh, from our situation, we don't need to be protected nearly as much as the poorest do because it's not fun being on universal credit. I don't care what people say or think universal credit is. If you're on universal credit, it's not a happy life. If it is, why don't you quit your job and go into universal credit then? Of course you won't because it's obviously worse than the situation you're in now. <laughs> you're just peddling this nonsense from your soapbox because what you get Trump. annoyed that some people get, some people get a free ride. No, they don't. If they get a free ride, go and do it, mate. Go and do it for one month you wouldn't survive a second. So the poorest need to be protected. But what's being squeezed right now massively, and I'm, and it is selfish, it's people like us. And I don't, I, and I will never turn my anger to the poorest and say, well, why don't, why don't we stop helping these guys? Why are they getting a cost of living payment? No, no, let's turn our focus and look up. Let's look up at the huge profits that the energy companies have been enjoying as a result of the Ukraine war. Let, uh, what's that doing to inflation, by the way? Mm. These, these record huge billions of pounds of profit. And and it, what are we doing to try and level that out? Why are we not looking and focusing our attention there? Why are we not increasing taxes for the most super wealthy in the country? I'm not talking 80 grand. I'm not talking 100 grand. I'm not even talking 200 grand. I'm talking the most ultra rich people in this country. Why are we not focusing our attention there? Because surely that's more inflationary than anything. What is wrong with this country that we are such a mindset of bootlickers 
that we can never think to look up because we think one day that'll be us. And when we're millionaires, we don't want someone coming after us for our hard-earned money. It's complete rubbish. Yeah, I I've recently saw a video and I bet you've seen these sorts of videos as well before. Darren Jones, um, Labour MP, who often grills, uh, he often grills businesses. He's quite famous. There's, there's, there's loads of like TikTok clips and Instagram reels and things of him just rinsing corporations with really, really good questioning. That's what he's good at. And uh, and and I think I've come to this, the similar sort of conclusion as you in terms of we need to be looking upwards. And and I just think that the argument that that, that person was making to me is always well, someone's got to take the hit and stop inflation. And my response is, but why is it always me? Why? And, and by me, I mean us, like the collective working class people. Why is it always us? Can, why does the, it's, it's like, you know, when you've got siblings and no one wants to have, someone wants to have the last hit, you know, like when you're, when you're playing around <laughs> your siblings when you're a kid and you're fighting or whatever, you always want to get that, you want to get the last jab in because then, you know, you've got this little moral thing. I've won now, I've got the last jab. We're always the last ones to be jabbed, always. And and I'm just like, can we can can they have the last jab? And Darren Jones was um, grilling like supermarket bosses, like Tesco's and Sainsbury's and all that, and basically saying to them, and they had nothing to come back on, by the way, on this. They they were just stumped. They were sweating. There's nothing to say because they've just rinsed people. They've rinsed inflation for their own profits, and they just don't care because no one is controlling them. The government isn't saying to them, well, you need to recognise the economic context we're in and stop doing that. Nope. So Tesco, he was saying, I can't remember the exact figures, but it was roughly, it was roughly like Tesco were making like 1.9 billion profit in just before COVID, like a yearly profit. And then just after COVID, their profits were at like 2.3 billion. So they'd made this like 20% rise, like 400 million pounds more profit. And I just want to make that really clear. That is literal profit for the company. Okay. The CEO and the shareholders, whoever they want to give it to. Profit. Not just, you know, everything else was accounted for. Everyone got paid. Even any pay rises were accounted for in that. People got paid and they made, they creamed off 400 million pounds more because they put their prices up. What do we call that? <laughs> what do we call that thing when the prices of stuff go up? So, oh, oh, it's inflation. It's inflation. It's like, no, they're the ones putting it up though. They didn't need to put it up that much. They, they made inflation bad, but because they made food 8% more expensive overnight like what are we how are they not accountable why do we have to why is someone saying to me well you know you gotta you just gotta take it you, we, we gotta suck it up and take otherwise inflation will spiral yeah it will can we can we tell tesco to put their prices down again please so that it stops spiraling and just pay me a bit more as soon as their as soon as profit right so imagine tesco put their prices up because of food prices did go up okay so there's a there's a chain we we're not stupid we run a business as well we understand there are levels to this and it's not as simple as well the price go up they make more money mm. no the, the cost of it might have gone up right but the only way that it was pure inflation their their prices going up would have been if their profits stayed the same yeah because the amount of money they took in might have increased but the amount of money they put out might have increased no 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 this is greedflation i would love to know how much percentage of the increase in food prices was simply on the profit, the profit line. Yep. Because any, any of that profit from the supermarkets on food, any of that profit on the energy companies as a result of the Ukraine war is making a profit on a crisis. And it's disgusting because at the end of the day, the government can turn around and say, well, we have control over public sector pay. So we're going to have to really just squeeze that there. It's small fry. What are you talking about? That that is the only way that we can control inflation. No, no, not asking for the 11%. I understand that when I if I get a 6.5% rise that I'd accept. I understand that actually I'm still 6% poorer. I get that. And, and I'm willing to maybe take that flack. 
even though I don't want to, but that's the situation we're in. Mm. So let's not pretend that we're being unreasonable here. Let's not pretend that we're being selfish saying, well, I'm not going to take anything from inflation. No, no. Me accepting the highest I could possibly get in this situation is still half of what inflation is. So let's just recalibrate this attitude towards teachers, which is that we're being greedy. Actually, we could have taken four and a half percent and would have taken money out of your children's livelihoods at school. We don't want to do that. It is not greed. We are just fed up of us being squeezed constantly. 400 pounds on your mortgage higher, 200 pounds on your food bill higher. No increase in your pay or a measly increase at that. And remember, if we get a 6% pay increase on our on our jobs, that's not a 6% pay increase on what we take home. Oh no, because tax and income tax comes off that. So actually in our take home pay, it's even less of a percent. So we've got even less spending power. It winds me up. Uh, I, I think that it's just a very easy point to make from Rishi Sunak sat there in his, mm. in his golden throne saying, well, we just have to get through it. I'm sorry, but there is a different option and you're not even entertaining it. Well, the equivalent to just finishing the analogy with Tesco, the equivalent to Tesco experiencing what we're experiencing, their CEOs and their shareholders would be, like you said, us taking a 6.5% pay rise would still be a pay cut because it's less spend, you know, money that we can spend. It'd be the equivalent of Tesco saying across COVID and up to now, we, we you know, we've made lower profits than we did in 2019. You'd be like, yeah, cool. That's what we're all doing. Cheers. Thanks, Tesco, for not putting your prices up and bearing the burden we're all bearing. But no, 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 they made 400 million pounds more in that time. You just think, oh, what, whatever. And, and all they all they come back with is, because they, they work with such massive numbers, obviously being huge, huge companies. They just say things like, we've maintained, we've maintained a profit margin of two to 3% every year of our revenue. <laughs> it's like, okay. Don't care though, because that numbers are relevant. Like two, two to three percent of like a trillion pound, you know, like the, the enormous yeah. amount of money they make as revenue as a company. It's just irrelevant. I don't care if it's two, if two point five percent to two point six percent means you make four hundred pounds, four hundred million pounds more a year. Then that was a terrible, terrible thing, and you absolutely shouldn't be gloating about the fact you've kept it within three percent. That's awful. You've made loads of profit off the backs of us, and we've now got to bear the burden of, of um, stopping inflation that you have literally perpetuated as a corporation, completely unregulated um, by the richest man on, on the planet, I'm exaggerating now, who happens <laughs> to be in charge of our country. Like, What backwards world are we living in? And with that, I'm going to start ranting. I kind of want to make it uh, come full circle here, Hayden, because here's the thing. Right now, in our current situation, um, the NEU, as we alluded, alluded to, uh, have a continuing strike action. Yep. Okay, so I think... Uh, as teachers, we understand that giving up the fight now would be quite frustrating, seeing as though nothing has happened. Uh, but there's a couple of things I want to make really clear. Uh, and I think the first thing I want to talk about is that there was uh, a bit of a miscommunication, I'd say, in, to the public as to what happens when teachers go on strike. And I want to make it really clear now for a couple of minutes, and you could talk about um, our experiences here, Hayden, of this, is that when teachers strike, we don't actually get paid. And I think it's such... Uh, a kind of symbol of the times we're living in that we are willing to forego a day's salary to argue the point that we're not paid enough. Mm -hmm. What kind of a situation must we be in where teachers feel that way? Uh, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? Because it seems like a catch-22 in terms of, well, people often say, I've heard this argument, oh, if you can afford to take a day off, clearly your salary is all right. And it's like, ah, oh, it's not though, is it? It's a sacrifice. I don't think you quite understand the definition of sacrifice. 
People are so desperate that they're willing to be even poorer for that month's pay to in desperation to not continuously be this poor every single month afterwards. That That's kind of the point I, I would make. Um, just another really quick point. Uh, I heard someone the other day at, at, at work say to me, I'm so glad we've got a strike days next week because I'm so dr I'm drowning in so much work that I can use those two days to catch up. And that to me, like I know they were just sort of saying it in jest, but they were being serious in terms of they, they're going to catch up with work because they work every day and they just can't get all the work done that that is required of this job. And it's not the same for everybody. People are in different positions in teaching, but I, I reckon there are plenty of people who can resonate with that person and be like, yep, that's exactly where I am. I will be doing some work on the strike day, even though I shouldn't be. Uh, that that's the that's another sort of layer of the, the the direness that this position's got to. And that person was like, has just succumbed to the idea of, that's it now. This is how I get work done. I have to take unpaid days off of work to um to maintain just to get the job done. And I'm just like, oh man, like I feel like I'm living in like a, some dystopian future. Like what have, what have we become? It's it's that is that is so mad, isn't it? And I think it's just like a, a sign of the actual profession. How many works? How many work days of work do we do at the weekend when technically yeah. we're not being paid just to make sure this job can actually happen? Something I wanted to dive in a bit more of. There's two things here. Number one is. Uh, it's both linked to the fact that the NEU have announced strikes for this term. Okay, so a lot, a lot of people, I think, in NEU, and this is still going ahead, by the way, because the other unions are balloting, and we're looking at industrial action in September through more than just one union. So so far, only the NEU have um, met the threshold to go through strikes. There are three or four others now that are trying to do so. That include head teachers, teaching assistants, etc., for having the biggest impact possible. Okay, two things have come from this from this announcement that they are going to have strikes in this term number one quite a lot of teachers have called it misjudged or not quite happy mm. that they're called strikes in this term because of the impact it's going to have on a lot of things that's important for our children such as transitions such as sports days such as those things that happen in this busy term which um we love to provide for the children uh, but secondly i've seen a lot of teachers as well say i'd love to strike but i now linked to what we just said literally can't afford to yeah I, I i literally cannot afford to strike now because i've foregone so much money i've made such a sacrifice i've got children perhaps i'm a single parent perhaps i'm this perhaps i'm that i literally can't lose 200 pound this term because of x y and z and what's frustrating me is both of those things uh, are kind of like a pushback to strike action now despite agreeing with the strikes but there's now a, a sense of a pushback to the strikes Immediately picked up by the Daily Mail, immediately picked up by the Telegraph, the government to be seen as, see, the need is waning. Teachers don't want, to, teachers understand. And then we can kind of frame it in that way now that actually, oh, they don't want to strike anymore. It's really frustrating me. Do you think it was an own goal by the NEU putting strikes now? Or do you um, think that it's just always going to happen, be the case after months and months? I can see the double negative because not only can the Daily Mail jump on what you just said there about c teachers they're not they don't want to strike as much now they can also jump on c the ones that are striking clearly don't care about the kids like we said because they're doing it on sports day and transition i i think it was a little a little bit silly for that reason i still don't disagree with them and and i and i will be striking on those days and i think i don't know i guess the other way to look at it is it kind of highlights it highlights it in the in the, in the opposite way that teachers clearly do care they care so much that even the most important thing to the profession right now which is striking can might might be deterred by the fact that they care about these kids so much that they now don't want to do it do you know what i mean I, I, it's a weird one i think it just i think it works both ways to the point where it's just a, it's kind of a pointless argument i think i understand the urgency 
and I, and I do just think we need to strike. It's, it's a bit tough that it's in term six. Uh, okay, it is just two days out of term six. That'd be one of my one of my things. It might it might cause some rearranging of days. I understand that some schools have planned their sports days on those days. It's really annoying, and they might now have to rearrange that day because they don't actually want to lose the sports day. They have to do it at a different time. Yeah, it, it's annoying, but I think we have to fight for uh, what we want. I really do, and I, th I think it is a fight. It is a fight. It's a fight financially. It's a fight with our time. And it's going to be a fight for some people in terms of reorganizing things, nice things that they wanted to do and carry on doing. Um, I don't know. It's, I feel weird about it. It's, it's a tough one. I think the biggest point a lot of people are saying were that the strikes are obviously meant to be disruptive. Okay, So a lot of arguments that, I, that said, look, one year without sports day is really annoying and will be frustrating for a lot of children. It's a huge day in the calendar, but it's for the long-term goal it's of disruptive. being able to afford equipment. Yeah, it's it's a long-term goal as well to be able to afford equipment in the coming years for said sports day. Like we need mm. money in school to provide these um, opportunities. Um, but kind of on a, on a deeper level, I just, I feel like with this this strike action, it, it just has to go ahead because the whole argument from the government of the not the not basically it's because they haven't um, released this report that we talked about earlier mm. and the the idea of being seen to let the government get away with it for what would be up until september about six months between strikes so that's a long time to kind of just be like oh we're gonna wait and see and they can kick the can down the road i think that the negative press that might come from uh, the kind of division in, in teaching at the minute as to whether it's right or wrong. I think overall, it's still a good thing to keep it in the mind of people that teachers are still striking. And yeah. and those teachers who are in a position where they think they can't afford to do so, I think they're the ones who are struggling the most right now morally, as it's such a moral dilemma for them. And I hate it when anyone who hasn't been part of a union, and I'm calling out other teachers now, I, I'm not I'm not afraid to do that. Obviously, it's the public and, and strangers as well. But teachers who haven't taken a single strike day, who've gone in on those days, done their job, taken their pay, whenever they comment about someone who maybe at this point is deciding, okay, I'm not going to strike this time because I need the money. Whenever they're commenting about that, saying, oh, that's a bit, that's against your your morals. Isn't that what you were for the strikes? It, it winds me up no end. Mm. And I've seen, I've seen this posted online. I think... If if you haven't sacrificed your money for this cause, whether you agree with it or not, you need to just keep quiet. You need to not, it's your, your opinion's not relevant in this. Don't tell someone whether they're right or wrong for choosing to strike or not if they've already done it five times this year and can't afford another couple of hundred of quid. It winds me up. Yeah, big time. That was a big burn from Dylan there. It's true. And I'm sure we're not calling out many teachers because I know there's a lot of um, unity in this kind of cause. But yeah, there are there are some people who think in that way and it's not fair yeah and and again like i said i'm making it very clear i'm talking specifically about those people who think it's their job to kind of make a comment or pass comment on someone's decision to strike or not in that respect mm. at the start we were very vocal weren't we hayden trying to convince people to strike and i think we a uh, very first podcast episode was why teachers striking because it was yeah. when teachers did, did did a strike i was going to say struck for the first <laughs> time and um, and i think we talked about didn't we how, how our views became less militant maybe and we do we yeah. do understand we were very militant not then. like we were super militant mm. then like i actually thought you was going to go into one of your older opinions there which you haven't said in a while which is that <laughs> i remember you saying this and you probably don't i don't know if you agree with it anymore or not i'll challenge you on it which was um if you voted no to striking didn't strike and stayed in uh and you know just got paid on those days when when the pay rises come next year if if any pay rises come based on strike action 
off you go. Donate it then. Yeah. You were clearly I, happy with what? what it was. You didn't do anything for it, so donate it. I think it, it yeah, um, <laughs> you're challenging me on this. Yeah. Uh, it's, I, I still think that, okay? Yeah. Um, for very specific groups of people. And this is why I can't just say it anymore because I realize that I am making that point to people who can't afford to strike. And I, and I hate that. I hate the idea yeah, of me yeah. saying that. And then someone who can't afford to strike is like, no, I, I literally can't afford to strike because every teacher's in a different situation. Uh, you know, our households have dual income and no dependents right now. So it's it's not the same, is it, as a single mum with four kids? Like, exactly. it's not remotely exactly. comparable. So I would never, ever say to that person, well, you didn't strike, get in the bin, love. I've got my 50 quid a month, thank you very much. No, I'd never do that, <laughs> obviously. But yeah. I'm talking about people in a very similar situation. I know lots of teachers whose partners are the breadwinners when, when earn significantly more in a very, very comfortable, stable financial condition. And they teach very much as like a vocation. They don't really need that money. They choose to do it for, for various reasons. And they it's those kind of people. And, and don't get me wrong. Most of them are very supportive and they actually still strike as well. But mm. when it's those kind of situations who think, oh, no, I, I, I'm thinking of the children. I'm coming in because I'm thinking of the children. Yeah. Like condescendingly I'm anti-strikers. Do you know what I mean? Like they're yes. militantly uh, anti-striking and they're vocal about their opinions and they look down on teachers who strike because they have assessed that I don't need the money and it affects the kids negatively. So what you're doing is bad. It's those people, isn't it, that, that really grind our gears. Not that I know any personally, but I've certainly seen them online. Um, and I know personally loads of people who, who aren't striking for various reasons. And all of those people are in support of the strikes. It's funny. They're all in support of it. But for, for one reason or another, they either can't or they're not going to for their own reasons. And it's completely acceptable. But yeah, that particular type of person that's just horrible, condescending like attitude towards it. Get in the bin and donate your money when we get it for you. <laughs> and I do, just finishing off on that point, I do also think that it's acceptable to, to not go the other way and kind of condescend those people and say, oh, you're pathetic, you're not striking, you don't deserve this. But I think you can go the other way and say to people who have been striking, you are bearing the brunt of this. You are carrying a financial burden. You are helping the profession massively through a personal sacrifice, both mentally and physically, uh, sorry, and financially. <laughs> physically. Um, <laughs> not, not physically. I'm lying in bed all day, mate. It's not a physical, it's not a physical one. Um, but you're, you're bearing that financial burden for the greater good of everyone and i think you can heap praise on them and i think people are worried about doing that in case it's all oh, well what will everyone else think no no you're doing the right thing for this profession thank you for losing hundreds of yeah. pounds for sticking by that so that's what we're going to do right now so what we're going to do is this little section where i praise dylan and he praises me for all of the amazing things that we're doing to help the strike action so it's really nice ready dylan dylan thank you so much for striking and taking um <laughs> physical action uh, to, to do that okay thank you so much i really appreciate it okay now your turn your turn and now hayden yeah uh, we're going to finish off there for this section so let's okay. play the oh no so you've got to oh. right dylan I, we've been moaning and waffling for i don't know best part of an hour now so i think we need to bring it to an end i just want to say though <laughs> it's so funny how in the last few episodes we've been like really like bigging ourselves up for being way more positive now because we know that back in the early episodes we were a little bit too moany and we have just spent the last hour absolutely going to town moaning about everything but we need it and i know there are people listening to this who are just, we love a moan we all love a moan yeah. as long as it's in the right context and you know that, that's what it was all about today just just getting out our gripes and explaining why we are still striking and why we are still fed up with the state that the economy is in in this country 
Yeah, absolutely. And, and in the future, uh, just so you all know, this was an episode with just us two. We still have guests coming in the future. We have a few lined up. Yeah. We'll have one for you next week. It is not Rishi Sunak. Uh, it's even better. <laughs> okay, so we have a lovely episode coming up next week, all to do with transition for year sixes going into secondary school and talking about reading. So Hayden, uh, it's going to be a really, really good one. Yeah, do tune in. Um, we've got some yeah, absolutely amazing guests and we're still getting more lined up. So you know, get in touch. We're starting to get contacted now by people as well who's saying, oh, I'd love to come on your podcast one day and talk about X, Y, or Z. And if that X, Hayden, Y, or Z is interesting... Your nan then... doesn't count. Your, your nan doesn't count. Well, I mean, she she, she just wants to talk about how... <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. I was going to really rinse her then. I love my nan. <laughs> I was just going to talk about the older generation. And like, she just wants to talk about how everything was handed to that generation, okay? And it's so hard for them. I'm not going to do it because if I said that, that would be really mean. And I didn't just say... <laughs> that would be mean. That'd be really you mean. You didn't reveal exactly. You didn't do that thing what people do all the time, where they say, "I'm not going to say it. I'm not going to say that X, Y, Z," and then by definition, say what they were thinking yeah. anyway. No, and also, you know, it wasn't. It's just just on average. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't wasn't my nan. My nan wasn't giving everything. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. Just the average nan. The average nan was uh, taking everything. From yeah, everyone. it's just a coincidence that all of the million pound homes that exist now are owned exclusively by fifty plus year olds. It's just, it's just yeah. a thing. Okay, Definitely. and it's just a com- it's just a complete coincidence that all of the older generation have already paid off their mortgage, so are not being remotely affected by interest yeah, rates. It's, it's just, just the young professionals who also aren't getting a pay rise. Yeah, let's not go it's back just, into it. Look, we're not going to go into the fact, okay, that there is no such thing as a youth tax for anyone over about fifty because they didn't have to pay extortionate student student loan fees we're not going to talk about it it's just the same listen, every listen, generation we are their challenges. not going to mention <laughs> how life is as possibly worse as it's ever been financially for anyone in our situation and we're not resenting we're not resentful we don't we don't care oh, about? oh man we're not going there right anyway guys right, guys <laughs> send us your stories please get in touch bye. with us uh bye yeah thanks for tuning in see ya